Welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. And I know you guys probably get tired of this, but I will never stop it because I want to thank our guests for coming to the show with a couple of things that are very expensive to me. I understand. I had to go through a journey to understand the value of time. Time is a precious commodity. Many of us, I know I was one of them that misused time, didn't understand the beauty of it. I actually have learned to fall in love with time and uh, honor time. And so I want to thank our guests for coming and sharing some of this precious commodity with us. The other is the journey. The journey also is a precious commodity because it created the individual that is before us. It had great power and it created a powerful being. So we're honored that this powerful being is here today to share wisdom, knowledge, insight, so that we have an opportunity to become better human spirits while we occupy this place that they told us is Earth. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming. Ken, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. You're welcome. Uh, tell the folks how you serve and um, do as you wish. This is, as I said, this is yours, and we are just honored to have you here. So um, tell all and everything, because I always say to people that stuff you're going to hear today, in a couple of months, it will be different because that individual is growing all the time. <laughs> so tell them what you've done so far uh, today. It's true. We are dynamic beings. I am Sarah yeah. Webb. I am a resilience coach, certified meditation coach, and I specialize in healing heartbreak, particularly in the LGBTQ plus community. You can find me everywhere at yeah. Sarah Webb says that's S-A-R-A-W-E-B-B-S-A-Y-S. So sarahwebbsays.com and all over the socials at Sarah Webb says. I absolutely love what I do, Ken. I have been through heartbreak after heartbreak in myriad ways, not just romantic relationships, but I am still rejected actively by my birth parents for choosing to live authentically. And wow. so heartbreak is something that I consider a gift and a privilege to have moved through. It yeah. is a ubiquitous, universal phenomena that almost everyone in their life experiences at some time. Even if yeah. that's in relation to literal grief of someone dying, which is heartbreak, and and romantic mm -hmm. heartbreak is a form yeah. of grief. And some experts, <laughs> you have, and hasn't it felt devastating at some point? Oh, yeah. It's, it's physically painful. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and they've actually done brain scans and found yeah. that when we are in the throes of being socially rejected by the person we love the most, yeah. it can register in the brain as the same as dismemberment. Yeah. We feel this ripping away of a part of us that we've kind of inculcated, imbibed into yeah. every cell. And there's this just disbelief that this could be yeah. happening and this sense of feeling lost and yeah. sometimes a loss of productivity or sometimes just a denial of what's happening and instead throwing ourselves into work. Yeah. I've I've done it unhealthily done and it. I've learned how to do it right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually have done all of that stuff. And so hey guys, you that are listening here and you've showed up, 
I want you to pay attention because I'm sure you guys have had some heartbreak in your, in your life. And so we have someone that has gone through several some different types and she is going to give us some insights. Okay. So I uh, want you guys to stick around. Uh, Sarah, one of our customs here at Threads of Enlightenment is to go back. We like to visit that space by which we, uh, family, we call it it's the first space where we reside for a few years. And while we are there in that um, space, we have two folks that have been traumatized through their lives. And I believe every single man and woman on this planet uh, is traumatized. I actually was there and I saw my children uh, born and believe me, there was trauma all over the place. My wife, me, the baby, everybody was traumatized. And uh, we enter, I believe we enter into the spiritual realm the same way trauma. And one of mm. the manifestation is a broken heart. So Sarah, we go to this family and we reside there for a little while. Mom and dad begins to program us. What was your family like? I had a very loving family, uh, traditional nuclear family, but yeah, you nailed it. There's big T trauma upon birth. There's little T trauma when we as these big souls are inhabiting this little body and we don't have the yeah. rational language to explain what's going on, but we have these extrasensory perceptions that are very heightened. And so we're vibrationally actually rooting in all these things that are inexplicable because we don't have a prefrontal cortex yet. Yeah. We're just mm -hmm. in this hypnotic state. We're in a meditative state from ages zero to seven and in a semi-meditative state again from seven to 14. And our prefrontal cortex doesn't get fully formed until we're 25. So yeah. it's like we can take this carbon copy of ages zero to seven and just kind of lay it on top of our life every seven years where our body has stored these vibrations, things that are yet unprocessed and mm -hmm. life continues to beautifully serve up these opportunities. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Here's another opportunity to understand this, to unpack this, to release it in a healthy way. Because yeah. if we, so in the wild animals, when they're being pursued after they get away, assuming they do get away from a predator, they shake yeah. You know, yep. kind of like a dog mm -hmm. does. And we humans don't. We don't shake it yeah. off. We're taught to just bottle it up. And then that vibrationally gets stuck in our bodies. Mm. And so while I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate to have grown up with a family that was very loving in a lot of ways, I have a father who's a trial attorney. And so he liked to argue. And so I learned, I learned how to do that. I learned how to do the anger thing and the arguing thing. And in my adult life, I have chosen to release some of those automatic reactions yeah. to mm. defend myself. Yes. And so I've had, I always say healing requires injury. And mm -hmm. isn't that beautiful that we get to heal? I agree yeah. with you that our trauma is the key to our enlightenment. It is an opportunity. Yes. It's like this mission, should we choose to accept it? Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think the trauma gives birth to us. And mm. I think we, one of the lessons that we have to learn is how to take that very same trauma and because that is the, the tool by which we are going to become uh, 
a servant. We are going to guide people on that trauma. And so the trauma is a part of the lessons of life that uh, propels us to become. And I, one of my favorite sayings as I tell people, because I have people ask me, what are you doing? I said, I'm becoming. And so yeah. uh, the trauma helps us to become. And uh, that becoming depends on what is your uh, perception as to what you want to become. And so here you are in this family, you began to um, accumulate the art of arguments and uh, persuasive arguments since you are with a lawyer and you're moving through your life now. As you, as you learn all this persuasiveness in your argument and uh, how you get emotionally um, involved, as they say, and um, how did you respond to others? I know based on what you were doing with dad, but how did that affect your communication skills and your, in, uh, your reaction to others outside of the family? I, you know, I, I want to go a little bit deeper because I was raised in the deep South mm -hmm. outside of New Orleans. And so I was taught from a no raised ones, in the girl. church. No yeah, no yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you correct me on that. They'll be upset. <laughs> Go ahead. So yeah, it depends on where you grew up in New Orleans. We we kinda we garb a little and then in some of the dialects, yeah, it is a little bit more drawled. So yes, I had the privilege of learning the way that a woman is supposed yeah. to be in the South. I did the cotillion yeah. stuff and all those, uh, you know, sit still, look pretty kinds yeah. of messages that I got. And, you know, as a lesbian today, who's finally living my truth, mm -hmm. I was afraid to come out because I didn't want to upset my parents. I knew yeah. because of how I was raised in the church that it would not be met with welcome arms. Yeah. And I learned how to people please. I learned how yeah. to squelch my own desires and act like everything was okay. I learned that extrinsically, I learned it intrinsically, and it has taken a lot of intentional work to try to rid myself of this tendency to say yes yeah. when I mean no and no when I mean yes. So this art of arguing only comes out after I have suppressed myself for long enough that mm -hmm. I explode into this, I cannot take this anymore. And that only puts me in a place of victimhood by blaming other yeah. people for my choices. And so yeah. I have actively and intentionally learned to be myself unapologetically and yeah. to exist in this space of humility and pride that really coalesces into a sense of joy. It's yeah. the joy of authenticity. It's, yeah. this is who I am and I'm proud of who I am and I humbly ask you to accept me. And if you don't, that's not on me. Yeah. I love and accept myself for who I am. And yeah. if you don't, that's has nothing to do with me and everything to do with your <laughs> life experience. So yeah, I am so grateful for this question uh, 
about how we've moved through our traumas and how we've come to understand the way that we're allowed to be in this world based off of our early experiences. Yeah, the those explanation and that you just gave the explanation you just gave is a classic sign of a people pleaser. I know mm-hmm. because that was one of them, and all of what you talked about, I uh, also lived and experienced in my life. And so, uh, I know there are many people pleasers out there. Hang on to your hat. We're still continuing this beautiful conversation. We'll <laughs> give you some. Uh, insights as to how to walk through that so that you can become you. So here we are, Sarah, you have hidden much and you're moving through. Um, Talk to me about your high school because you are, and how old were you when you recognized that you were who you are? Because this is going to be an interesting part of how you live your life because you're going to try to hide that, you're going to try to um, control your voice, has to suppress your voice, all of these different things you're going to do. How old were you when you recognized who you were and how did you walk through your life with that knowledge, being in a church setting that will tell you you're going to hell and they don't recognize the main part of the Bible talks about love, Mm. but because of the traditions of men and the programming, they are now, you can't be. How did you as a young girl walk through that? In high school, I was very impressionable and I was very involved in all kinds of things at school as well as extracurricular. And so I grew up going to church Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, I sang in the choir. I was there on Wednesday night for youth group. I was there on Monday night for red beans and rice. And I went (laughs) to school there five days a week. So I, what I knew I did Bible drill. It's literally a competition where you stand behind a line and you find a Bible verse very quickly. So I was highly programmed. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and when I went to college, that's when I really discovered this aspect of myself, this proclivity. Okay. It was like one night with my friend, I'll, re- I'll let her remain anonymous. We, we don't have very much contact. I've seen her on social media a little bit. But after that night, I was like, oh, wow, this is something <laughs> that I really want to step into. And yeah. I remained in the closet all through college, even though I primarily dated women. I did date a guy or two within that, but mostly yeah. women moved to France, called myself a lesbian for the first time in, when I was 21 years old because I could be who I wanted to be yeah. when I was living in How Paris. How was that? How was that, Sarah, when you made that announcement because you were away from the confines of your programmers and you're in a totally different environment? How did it feel for this 21-year-old girl to say that? really liberating and authentic. It was a beautiful time in my life to be able to be who I am without worrying yeah. about seeing somebody from that, that my parents know or that <laughs> yeah. is going to tattletale <laughs> on me in some way. You know, yeah. back that was 2002. I wow. 
we had Skype, but the internet wasn't what it is today. (laughs) And so we weren't posting constantly and there wasn't this ability for my parents to kind of find out. (laughs) And so, yeah, I stayed in the closet until I was around 25, 26. When I moved to Dallas, I dated a couple of girls. I I went through Hurricane Katrina in 2005, moved to Dallas in 05. And then that's when, you know, I just said, I want to, I want to have a baby. My parents are never going to go for this whole me getting married to a woman or going through IVF or any of that. And so I, I remained in that closet, really kind of put myself fully back in the closet and dated only men. I, I tended toward men who were a little bit softer and more feminine and, and understanding. And I finally um, married my ex-husband, father of my biological child but um, in between putting myself firmly back into the closet in that moment, I'll just give a trigger warning to your guests. Yeah. I, I suffered a multi-man rape when I was 28 years old. I was drugged um, and uh, violently raped, and both holes. So it was sorry. incredibly um, demeaning and demoralizing. I am grateful because they did prop me up outside the uh, hotel room lobby. And so I survived and I am so grateful for the opportunity to heal in that way. I did not deal with it at the time. I did not go to the police. I did tell my sister, she encouraged me to go to the police. There was no way I couldn't even process it. I shoved it down and I drank and I drank more and I drank in order to be intimate with men. And it wasn't until I got pregnant years later and was sober for the first time that I realized what I was doing and had to, that's when I really, I was a meditator before, but I hired a meditation coach and learned TM, Transcendental Meditation, 20 minutes twice a day. And so sitting with myself coupled with being sober really changed the way that I was looking at the way I was living my life, it it allowed me this 30,000 foot view to really begin to analyze the way that my actions are affecting my day-to-day life. And yeah. so that was such a beautiful gift. It took me another couple of years to fully stop drinking because yeah. um, I did start drinking again after my daughter was out and you know, I I had realized that I wasn't able to be intimate with my ex-husband without that wet blanket of alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So I came yeah. out of the closet and got sober and got a divorce. And that divorce from my ex-husband was a heartbreak in and of itself. Yeah. Because I didn't want to get a divorce from the father of my child. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't yeah. want to disappoint my family or his family, especially for asking for the divorce. But yeah. I had to step out and live my truth. So yeah, all these was, traumas have been such gifts. Pardon me. Go yeah, ahead. I was 20. No, I was 30, 30 something years old when I broke free from my parents. Um, it wasn't mentally, it was, I mean, physically, it was mental. I was living to please them. Mm. And um, some of you that are out there, you're living to please someone. That's not who you are. Um, I lived to 
please my parents, and we got into an argument over my children, how I wanted to bring my children, how I was bringing my children up. And it caused a tremendous rift within our relationship, but eventually it mended. But I became Ken Primus in my 30s. And so I challenge you guys that are listening to this powerful conversation. Um, become yourself. There's nothing like you. Liberation is, is one of the most beautiful drugs you'll ever have in your life. And Sarah, I want to apologize for some of those. Uh, uh, as, a, as a race of men, of one of the men, I do apologize for the sick-mindedness of many of the men out there. Many of the women have encountered these animals that have no self-control, and so I want to apologize for that. But uh, I know here you are um, alive and a powerful being that has walked through that particular trauma. And many women, uh, some of them have lost their lives because of that. Some of them have committed suicide. And so mm. I want to mm. honor you. And those that are listening that have been through that, uh, Sarah has been there. You ought to get in touch with her and she will help you walk with you, touch, hold your hands, cry with you. These are the things a, a, that someone is there and she will make herself available for you because that is something that she's familiar with. She knows exactly what you're going through, how you're feeling, your thought patterns of shame and less than, all of that she had to endure so that she can be with you and walk with you. So here you are, Sarah, you walk through, you, you hid for a couple of years to get married and you had your kid. I love how I tell people life is a series of decisions that we make. You said, I wanted a child. You did what you had to do to get a child. And so here you are, you're free from the divorce. I know about that. Also, being in a church, when I had to go through that and make that decision, how the guilt of that kicks in as well. Um, mm. The guilt is to your family, God, everybody you have let down. So I, I'm familiar with that guilt journey that you will have to go through in order to come out successful. So I've been there. So... Here you are, you've broken free, and you're standing there now. You're in your place, and uh, you are now going to begin this new journey. You had briefly mentioned that you were dabbling, if you will, in meditation. How old were you, Sarah, when that dabbling began? And do you remember what it was that introduced you to meditation? I started meditating when I started practicing yoga when I was 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I remember that first time laying in Shavasana and she was leading us through a chakra meditation. And, and I saw this purple light in my third eye. And I went up to my yoga teacher afterwards and I'm like, what was that? And so she assigned me some books like Autobiography of a Yogi and put me on some paths to figure these things out for myself. I never had a practice though until I was 30, 
five years old. I had a, that's when I, I had done, you know, I had done the things at the yoga studios. I had like taken a deep October course online. I had tried to do X, Y, and Z, but nothing ever stuck. That whole idea of mindfulness and allowing Mm -hmm. the thoughts, I'm just too analytical. So the, the way that I found freedom within meditation is with mantra. And then now in my more advanced practices with breath work, so giving yeah. the mind this light focus to hang on mm-hmm. to and allowing the thoughts to continue while also I, I believe that that light focus, when we just hold it lightly, allows yeah. the mind to release in this really beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, I try to explain to people about uh, meditation you have. So many different types. You have the classic style of meditation. But I tell people, uh, meditation is designed to help you to become you. You will learn how to choose your your thoughts. You become a designer when one begins to meditate in the type of life and outcome that you want out of your life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, meditation is one of the most powerful tools, especially when you incorporate within your, medicine, your meditation breath work. And I said to people all the time that listen to this, the breath is the bridge by which you walk into the supernatural. Mm-hmm. It is the bridge from natural to supernatural. And then when you compound that with the mantras, the mm. mantras is sound. If you've ever gone, I've gone to several uh, temples and the sound, the vibration of the sound coupled with the breath will take you into dimensions that you did not know existed. I've been there a couple of times. I've traveled out of my body. Um, and one day I'm going to tell some, uh, tell what I saw and stuff like that, but it was fascinating. But I know what Sarah had mentioned, some of the most powerful tools that you can bring into your space to assist you to move through all of your trauma and your pain. So as you begin to do this and um, become more of a practitioner with your meditation, what did you see, Sarah, that you started to happen to you in relations first to you, to self, and then to others? As I began meditating, you're asking? Yeah, as you began to become more of a practitioner than just, uh, you know, as you recognize it for the tool that it is and what it can afford you, as you began to do that, what, how did it begin to change you, first of all, and then how did it reflect with your relationship with others? There's so many answers that I have for that, and I do want to touch on so let me just answer it directly it allowed me to live intentionally and to step outside of blame i do want to just touch on a couple of the things that you said about breathwork being this bridge to the supernatural i lead chanting workshops i led one on friday and i said welcome to your friday night substance free high because this is how, as Wim Hof says, you know, you get high on your own supply, but uh, just a couple of things in the Bible. The first verse says, God said, let there be light. And people talk about light being that first thing, but God said, 
There yeah. was sound first. There was sound. vibration first. Yeah. And actually in the human body, the very first organ to form is the inner ear. Yeah. Before anything else, it's our ear, that Fibonacci spiral that begins at the start of life. And everything is vibrating. Everything yes. is vibrating, even things that seem still and coming full circle to where we began, all these vibrations, these vibrational patterns that we hold in our bodies. David Hawkins has very expertly mapped these literal vibrations associated with the emotions and how they mm -hmm. resonate across the board in, in the human body. And so in answer to your question, coming, coming back to that, meditation allowed me to have that 30,000 foot view of my thoughts, my actions, and it doesn't mean that I began living perfectly immediately, mm -hmm. but I began to be more intentional. I mean, it's, it's a constant yeah. journey, right? It is. And to realize that there are exactly two things I can control, my thoughts and my actions. And me yeah. people-pleasing is a futile attempt to control the way that someone else thinks about me, control, to control their perception. It's really selfish. It's really manipulative. Yeah actually people pleasing. And, and when I tell things like that to my clients, boy, that hits. It's like, yeah. how can I be, be, I thought I was being conciliatory. I thought I was pleasing, but no, at the root, there's, there's a threat of selfishness there. Yeah. And so it allowed me to begin speaking up for what I need, for what I want, and being able to realize that no is a complete sentence or no, thank you is a kinder, complete sentence. And, and yeah, being able to stand up for myself. That's, I mean, meditation granted me so much. The ability yeah. to calm my nervous system, the ability to respond instead of react. And yeah. wow, I mean, meditation saved my life. Talk about feeling suicidal. I've, I've felt that way many times in my yeah. life. Sometimes it's like, it's not even my thought. And it's like, I don't want to necessarily, I just want to not be here anymore. It's just that the struggle yeah. feels so painful that it feels impossible to go on. So that, that yeah. feeling of helplessness and resourcelessness is a place where I've definitely been. And you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in leading people out of this suicidal state, but I've been there and I can definitely empathize and yeah. meditation allowed that awareness of the thoughts. Well, I think your life experience allows you to be an expert to a degree that in some experts have never encountered. Mm. So you have a different type of expertise. It's the genuine stuff that that individual that is before you is going to need in order to come out and trust you because you've been there. It's a different type of expert. So because I know we are constrained for time, Sarah, I want to talk to you about when you began to notice your changes, you see all these things, and I told you on the onset, Meditation saved me as well. And mm. all those things that you mentioned, I also experience within meditation. And it is, I love meditation. I meditate every day. 
in my life. I, I just love it. Without it, I would have died. And so I appreciate how it has hold me and serve me and we are best of friends many um, in my life so here you are you're beginning to understand you you are growing and now you're looking at life you're coming through again and uh, you're going to become a servant what was that road like sarah when you began to walk towards that space knowing that these types of healing, these types of trauma, how did you walk through all of those as you are growing, learning, and becoming uh, this new individual? What, how did you end up in that direction, if you will? I've been an educator my entire life, always teaching people, always helping people, interacting with people. It's just that my relationship with myself became so strong. And that's what I believe meditation gives to us yes. is this bolstering of relationship with self, this self-realization yeah. that I could no longer deny that I have something inside of me, this seed of resilience that allows me to share my how-tos and and to give away these tools that I have collected and created and amalgamated into really concrete things like a power technique. I have lots of acronyms that I use with my clients and call them pocket-sized techniques that they can walk away with and be able to pull out even if they don't have a pocket. And it's <laughs> about building that relationship with ourselves, with our bodies, with our breath, and with our mind. And I believe that embodiment and breath work are the ways that we enter the mind. I mean, we have 70,000 to 90,000 thoughts every single day. And 95% of them are the same as the day before. And 80% are negative unless we try intentionally to change the way that we think and to think pleasant thoughts. Because otherwise our subconscious is just trying to keep us safe. It's doing its job. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't have beef against us. It's not trying intentionally to hurt us, but it does end up limiting us. And so when we foster that relationship that we have with ourselves by spending time with ourselves in quiet contemplation, and I believe that when we meditate, not every single time necessarily, but when we reach those deeper states of meditation, we are accessing what quantum physics postulates as the quantum field of yeah. all possibility. Yes. You can call that God. <laughs> it's, it's where everything exists. Everything is possible. All answers are there. And when we can quiet the body enough, harness the breath, sometimes quiet the breath, sometimes enliven the breath in these really mm -hmm. methodical and intentional ways, then we enter into that mind space where we can watch the mind and also change the way that we interact with the mind. Because the difference yes. between somebody who's suicidal and somebody who is Tony Robbins <laughs> yeah. is the way that we perceive these problems. It's not the problems. It's, it's our perception. Perception is key. Um, when and I taught my children, how you look at your situation will determine the length of time that you're in that situation. And so um, 
if you want to focus your power, your fate, if you will, your energy on negative stuff, it will become real and you will be lacking the answers necessary to free yourself from it. Mm -hmm. But if you change your perspective and you began to focus and meditate on uh, just allowing yourself, as you said, the quantum level where you allow, uh, you know, God, the outside uh, uh, individual, that where all the answers live mm -hmm. and reside. Mm -hmm. You can only get there if you change your perspective and the choice is yours and once you do the answers will manifest there is no limitation in that realm but the other realm all that exists there is limitation it's a limited fear-based system and so there is no answer there but when you meditate it allows you to tap into eternal wisdom knowledge and insights. So here you are, you, um, you were able to recognize you, that you are a teacher, you are one that serves, and you walk into that realm. Invite us there to one of those encounters, those precious ones that after spending time with an individual that you have been chatting with and that you are having that conversation and you within your guidance and the guidance comes, uh, insights and revelation comes from questions. When that guide says to you, when you're, the questions are designed to, first of all, locate you. Where are you? Do you want to get out of your situation? I'll give you an example. Jesus Christ, you know, uh, Sarah and I talked about uh, the Bible and uh, Jesus walks to this pool. This man is sitting there for a long time and he looks at him and he says, why are you sitting there? He says, well, I'm waiting for the water to touch so I can get my healing. And Jesus asked him a question and I thought, what? what's wrong with Jesus? And I didn't get it until I saw the revelation. He says, do you want to be healed? And I thought, wow, it's a powerful question because did the man settle? He had to locate him. Did he settle? Did he say, yeah, it's never going to happen? What was his perception while he was there for 40 plus years? His perception was, I want my healing. And once he located him, Jesus said, get up. And that is what a guy does. They will ask you questions to locate you. And I have one that is skillful right here, guys. I know she and I did not even go because we were pressed for time didn't go into the aspect of loving the self. She has to now learn how to love herself. I want to leave that for those that will get in touch with her so that she can uh, embellish on that as how she learned how to love herself because she went through some tremendous trauma, denying self, being violated by men and all of these different things. This woman had to learn how to love herself. And so you guys who are going to get in touch with her, ask her. And I'm sure she will be able to whisper to you. But um, invite us, Sarah, to one of those encounters as you were chatting with someone when they began to move in their perception from darkness into light. And once it, once it got it, and we call it the light bulb moment, for lack of a better term, um, what did it feel like as you watched 
one of the most intoxicating transition on this planet and how someone becomes themselves. One of the biggest things that I work with in the heartbreak realm is this concept of responsibility. Blame leaves us powerless. And my nine-week program is called Revive Your Power for a Reason. Because we, if we spend our lives, listen, I could throw around, I could definitely throw around words like narcissism or abuser, but those words keep me in a place of victimhood. So I had a client just the other day who, when I gave this analogy that I can't necessarily claim, I've, I've read it in other books, that if someone puts a golf ball through my window, it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility for my family, for my community, for Pachamama, our earth, to not allow all the elements to come in and out of our home. There's a huge responsibility, and it doesn't matter if I know who's to blame or not. I'm in control of my thoughts and my actions. And that light bulb moment when that changes for people and they realize, okay, I am responsible for the way that I feel. I'm responsible for my experience. And blaming is leaving me in a state of powerlessness. These are truly expansive moments. And There's a beautiful book by um, Portia Nelson called Autobiography in Five Chapters. I'll send it to you if you're not familiar with it. Are you familiar? Thank you. It's it's just a short poem about the way that we can begin to take responsibility for what we're doing. And it doesn't matter what other people do. It's it's about us deciding for ourselves that we're going to get ourselves out of the hole. And we might mm-hmm. continue to fall in the hole, but then we recognize, ah, I know where I am. I'm yeah. going to get out of this <laughs> hole. And so I think that's a lot of these stages of awakening is realizing, oh, I went down that same path, you know, whether yeah. that's neurologically or literally or metaphorically, I'm going, to, oh, and then we catch ourselves before we actually go down the path and we steer around it until we eventually take another path altogether. Yeah. So, yeah, that, thank you for that question. Yes, uh, beautiful. You're welcome. Thank you. I, it's, to me, that is one of the most precious, holy transition that we as servants get a chance to um, enjoy, to, because it, it does something to us as well as the, the new enlightened individual as they began to walk in their freedom and understand, not just uh, they understand, something shift within them. And when they get there, you see even their body. Some people respond different ways, but then when after they cry and laugh and whatever else, when you see them stand, they are upright. There is this change in them that is absolutely beautiful and we are honored to always see those things and so i know sarah i want you to tell them those that are listening we're going to provide her information 
But I know, as I mentioned, we didn't get a chance to go into a couple of things because I wanted to be mindful of her and be respectful of that beautiful commodity called time. But mm -hmm. she has a story to tell about falling in love with herself. And those of you yes. who want to get to know her, I invite you. I'm going to provide everything uh, so that you can get there. And Sarah, I want you to give them your, um, your, your dot com one more time so that they can have yeah. that as well. But uh, I wanted to hear it, but we'll also provide it for them. Absolutely. Sarah Webb says everywhere. S-A-R-A-W-E-B-B-S-A-Y-S. SarahWebbSays.com. Also on Instagram. I have a Facebook page and you can find me on LinkedIn too. I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Webb. Thank you. Excellent. I'd love to tell that story of falling in love with myself because it is quite <laughs> a journey. And you are just so beautiful and your laugh is infectious. And I love your pointed questions. This has been the best part of my week so far. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Um, blessings always. And you and I are going to stay in touch. I'm going to 